I'm going to read from 1 Timothy just a couple verses and then focus on just one verse this morning. Reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 16. And again, I hope you'll see why in just a moment. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. Paul writes to young Timothy and says, These things I write to you. Though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you will know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Let's pray. Father, we believe we have in our hands your word, and we believe that this was directed to Timothy, but more than that, it was directed to us. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look for a moment at the great mystery of godliness, that you would help us first to understand and then to live out this mystery. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for these, our friends. Speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have, have you ever had a friend who had all the answers? I would ask the question, are you married to someone that has all the answers? But that's probably not a good idea. I think earlier in my life, I tended to feel like I had to have all the answers. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Some of you agree to that. I just, whatever the mystery was, I felt like I had to have all the answers. I had to have a solution to every question. Myrna could have said early in her life she was married to someone like that, that had to have all the answers. Mysteries can be things that we see and that we experience, that makes us want answers. Uh, ultimately, I think all mysteries, all questions lead to God. If you ask the questions, you keep asking them, eventually they will lead back to God. Questions like, is there a God? What's he like? Uh, why is there evil and pain on the earth? Questions that sometimes we have an answer to and sometimes we don't. Some of the great questions of life will get answered. Some in this life, some in the life to come. I think there are certain mysteries that will never really been answered. Let me read you a, a textbook definition, a little bit, uh, a little short one on mystery. Here's what it means. Something that is impossible or difficult to understand or explain. Something impossible or difficult to understand or explain. And that's the way we generally use mystery. mystery. Uh, Stonehenge is a mystery. And the question is, why did they build it? And even how? And it's a mystery we have no answer to. You know, there are other mysteries, more practical. Uh, one of the mysteries I've considered in recent years is, how is it that as you age that time passes so much faster. 
Anybody here can answer that for me? Anybody else agree? Does time pass faster as you age? I, I don't know how that works. You know, for many years, I kept moving middle age up. Uh, and I finally moved middle age up to 79. You know. <laughs> then, when I hit 80, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so, I guess now we have to officially declare old. But it is a mystery. How is it that the year just, it's like a snowball. They just keep coming faster and faster. A mystery in the Bible, especially as Paul uses it, it has a little different understanding of it. Uh, a mystery is not a whodunit, or the butler did it, uh, with some creepy music. That's not the idea of a mystery. It is uh, the answer to an inquiry that only God can answer, and that he doesn't necessarily answer it except in his timing. In other words, there are mysteries that remained in the Old Testament that were not answered until Christ came in the New Testament. And the, the mysteries of God himself are just manifold. You know, you, when you consider God, and we've talked about this before, but if it doesn't stagger you that God is eternal, that God is infinite, uh, that God is without limitation, and that God exists solely in himself. Theologians call that a seity. That God exists within himself. He is totally self-sufficient. Are you? Obviously not. And it's hard for us to understand the person of God. Uh, his attributes of uh, all-knowing and all-present and all-powerful, I, I don't understand that, and nor will we ever so some of these mysteries that are bound up in God, uh, we don't understand, but it doesn't keep us from believing them, right? We believe them because that's the way he has revealed himself. The Trinity, what an amazing mystery. No one understands the Trinity, right, Pastor Bill? Yeah, no one understands it. Does God exist in three persons? Yes. And are those three persons one? Yes. How can that be? I don't know. I just know it's so. I think Paul uses the term mystery around 27 or 28 times. Uh, I read somebody said 28. I can only find 27. He uses it of different truths about Jesus, about Christ. He also uses it in particular about Christ's church. Uh, Christ used the term mystery. You probably remembered in the Gospels several times. Uh, he used it in this sense. The disciples asked him, why do you speak in parables? Do you remember what he said? Because it has been given to you, the disciples, to know the mystery of heaven. But to them it has not been given. And I think you see another facet of New Testament mysteries there. And that is that not everybody will get it. And that's true today. Not everybody will get it. Only those who will believe, only those who are of faith will understand the mysteries. And that was true certainly when Christ spoke in their parables. So New Testament mysteries are outside 
the range of unassisted natural understanding. Did you get that? Outside of what we can understand in our own resources. And they are the plans of God. They can only be discovered uh, by him, from him, and at his time, and to his people. Paul writes in the letter to Ephesians about the mystery of the church, something that was not seen in the Old Testament. That this great mystery that Jew and Gentile alike would come together in one body, uh, Christ's church. Uh, and that mystery was revealed, particularly in, we see it in Ephesians. Paul said in Romans, Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Then that paragraph concludes with this. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. How unsearchable are his judgments. Now go back to that text with me for a few moments in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I struggled all week trying to figure out how this was connected to the rest of the chapter. And I think I might have seen it about 3 o'clock this morning. Uh, the early portion of this chapter is talking about church leadership. It talks about bishops, overseers of the church. Uh, that's a topic for another study. And then he talks about deacons and deacons' wives. So it's talking about leadership. And then suddenly, he seems to change the topic. Do you see that? I'm writing to you because I hope to come to you. But look what he wants to do. He, he says, I'm writing to you, in verse 15, so that you can know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So I think here's the connection. Track with me and see if this makes sense. He has given pretty strict orders as to who is to be the leader of the church. He talks about their conduct and he talks about their character. And, and those things are try. Anybody that wants to be a leader of the church is out of their mind, right off the bat. If anybody that, that aspires to be a pastor, there's, there's something wrong in their head. They're, they're not thinking right. Uh, because it, it is one of the most, I think, difficult jobs on earth. Once again, Pastor Bill, do you agree? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, and Paul knew that quite well. And so as he's writing to Timothy, Timothy is leading a church in Ephesus. Paul had been there. He left Timothy behind to administrate and get that church up and operating. And He's writing to Timothy all of these things so Timothy will know how to select leaders and what the characteristics of those leaders should be. And then it comes to him that this is a tall order. And I really want to go see Timothy so that I can sit with him. I think this was a mentor relationship as we would describe it. I want to go see him. I want to be able to sit down with him. I want to be able to help him through this task. But I can't do that right now. And so, in lieu of me being there, I'm going to write him this letter, and I'm going to explain to him how he ought to order the church and how he ought to select the leaders. But then as he completes that thought, 
I think Paul's mind went to this. That is a big challenge. And Timothy, if your eyes, if your gaze is not fully on Jesus, you will never get it done. You can't get it done apart from the focus on Jesus. Now, follow with me through these verses and you see if you agree. Uh, He says at the beginning of verse 16, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Something that hadn't been revealed before, but is being revealed now. Great is this mystery of godliness, of living out the faith. That's what godliness is all about, living out the faith. So Timothy's here at Ephesus, uh, spending a lot of time alone, I'm sure, as a leader. And so what does he need to focus on to live out his faith? Do you understand what I'm saying? What is it that's going to help Timothy? What tools can he use to help him live out the faith? And I think this next passage explains the things that Timothy needs to focus on, have his attention on, if he's to live out the faith. And let me just say in summary, it's Jesus. It isn't that true of all of us. If you want to live out your faith, you better keep your eyes on Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Because that is our hope and our only hope is the person of Christ. So I'm just going to work through these phrases. And first, let me comment that uh, that term great in uh, verse 14, great, 16 rather, is the mystery. Uh, the word great is magnus. Uh, the mega, a million uh, lottery recently. Did I read that it was $1.6 billion, something like that? Staggering numbers. Well, that mega is from this same word. It's a, it's a transliteration, really, coming over from the Greek for great. So this great, a comparative term, we could say greatest, this great mystery of godliness, of walking out the faith, here's what it's bound up in. Look at these phrases. God was manifested made known, revealed in the flesh. That's the first thing. Manifested in the flesh. We celebrate that at what season? Come on. Somebody. Christmas. Thank you. I wanted to make sure somebody was listening. Uh, Christ came as a baby. Incarnation. We celebrate at Christmas. Incidentally, Christmas is a marvelous time. And I wish we sang the Christmas hymns year-round. There's some great Christmas hymns. And the imagery and the teaching out of those Christmas hymns, even the simple ones. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed. The, what's the next couple words? Little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. That Christ became man while becoming, by remaining fully God, he became man and became like us. It, that's a mystery, folks. And that's a mega mystery to understand that God could become man. Uh, a Jewish teacher said this, If you can convince me that a virgin can give forth to a child, then I will consider your faith. 
If a virgin can give forth a child, I'll consider your faith. Well, Isaiah says, uh, 700 years before Christ came, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I suppose today it is possible through artificial insemination for a virgin to have a child, but that's not the method God used. God used a supernatural, mysterious method that's beyond their understanding. When Mary conceived a child by the Holy Spirit, it is a mega mystery. Uh, God and man came together in one person. Paul said in Galatians, but when the right time came, God sent forth his son made of a woman. You hear that? In God's timing, God sent Jesus, fully God, to be born of a woman. The second phrase there, justified in the Spirit. How many of you have a translation that says vindicated by the Spirit? Okay, several of them. Uh, the words are closer than you might think. To be vindicated is really kind of a legal term. Where's our attorneys here? Uh, it's a legal term, and it means uh, that you are righteous and you've been declared such. That there's no guilt. It has to do with being free of guilt. So if someone is vindicated, it means it's been proven that that person is free of guilt. And really the same thing is true of justified. We use it in a slightly different sense. But it's the same idea, declared as though he has no guilt. And so it says that Christ was justified by the Spirit. If you have a MacArthur Study Bible... Uh, one of the few times I'd be bold enough to disagree with MacArthur. But MacArthur uses that term spirit with a little s. And he says that the term spirit there has to do with Christ's own human spirit. And so his perfectly righteous human spirit is what justified, vindicated him. I don't think so. It could be that he's referencing the baptism You remember the baptism, after the baptism, the Holy Spirit came and it says, uh, uh, lighted on Christ uh, as as a dove. And so, could that be what he's referencing? I don't think so. I think what he has in mind is the resurrection. And a couple verses that lead me to think that. Romans 1-4, listen to this. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Christ was resurrected and the Holy Spirit was fully involved in that resurrection. Once again, this is the Trinity. I, I don't understand all of that. I just know it's true. And so I think what it's pointing to here is that the resurrection of Christ was facilitated in some way by the Holy Spirit. And so he was vindicated in his resurrection. Uh, The Spirit was fully involved in every part of Christ's life. If you remember, the Spirit was there 
at, at every step of the way in Christ's life, at his death, at his resurrection, at his birth. Uh, and today, the Spirit's involved as he empowers Christ's church, Christ's body. The next phrase there, oh, this is a great one, seen by angels. We could spend some time on this, but let me just say this. Can you imagine the angels in heaven surrounding the throne where Christ sat, observing through the ages the Son of God in his heavenly domain? And then at a moment, if moment is the right word, uh, Christ came to earth and some of those same angels saw a baby in a manger, seen by angels. Uh, what must they have thought? Uh, what must have been the overwhelming feeling of that? Uh, in fact, at the tomb, it says the angel of the Lord came. He descended and rolled back the stone. And they sat on it. So the angel of the Lord was watching. The angels of the Lord were watching at every facet of Christ's ministry. Last week, Pastor Bill spoke on First Peter chapter 1. We had to leave early, and I'm sorry I didn't catch it. But he read this passage, and I think he went down through verse 12, didn't you? Okay. I'm going to read a little bit of it again. It'll be familiar to you. This salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied of this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or what situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great reward afterward. They were told the message were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced by you, uh, or to the you, by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are watching these things happen. So the angels observe. Christ was seen by angels. He's been seen by angels since they were created. And he's seen by angels today. The next phrase there is, he was preached among the Gentiles, and aren't you glad? Uh, Paul said in Romans 3, is he God of the Jew only? No. He is God of both Jew and Gentile. And so the word went out to the Gentiles. You see it in the book of Acts. Uh, you see it with Cornelius in the book of Acts. You see the word going out. Something, a mystery, because... The Jews didn't get it. They thought they were the ones and they alone. But now God intends to include the Gentile world. In fact, Christ's church today is made up of people from every ethnicity, every skin color, all part of one body, every language, and every part of the world because the gospel has gone out. Marty and I had lunch this week with a young family uh, from, they live in Moldova. They live in the Transnistria region of Moldova. For those of you who've been following the news in recent years, uh, there's a little region 
I think it would be to the east and south of Moldova, that remains Russian, and actually Russian troops there, adjoins Moldova, and I think probably Ukraine on the other side. And that area had been hostile to the gospel because it was controlled by the Russians and by the Russian Orthodox Church. So uh, Igor and his family lived there. I don't know who preached the gospel to Igor, but somebody did. You know what Igor is doing today? We saw pictures of people being baptized as an outward expression of their faith in Jesus. And so Christ was preached among the Gentiles. He's been preached all over this world. And more specifically, it wasn't just Christ. It was salvation through Christ. It was knowing him through his shed blood on the cross, that that's been preached to the Gentiles and throughout the world. In fact, the next phrase says, believed on in the world. Every place you go, there are people who know and love the Lord Jesus. Now, there might be a pocket somewhere, but this world is full of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was believed on in the world. That's a mystery, folks. You know, through the ages, there have been lots of people that wanted to stamp out the gospel. People that wanted to make sure it was never propagated. And I think that the evil one empowers that. And so, in spite of all of the opposition, the gospel continues to go out. Christ is believed on in the world, still happening today. And then that last phrase, he was received up into glory. Here, glory refers to a place. Uh, I kind of like that, that heaven's referred to as glory. Today, Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, where he ever lives to make an intercession for us. So as you walk through those steps, those truths that he's expressed are the basis of holiness, of godliness, of right living, because they tell us all about Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. Communion is a mystery. As you look at these elements, I hope two things will happen. Is that one, you will recognize that this is a mysterious celebration. Not earthly. Something only could be revealed by God. And the second thing is that they point explicitly to a risen Savior who gave his blood on a cross, but who rose again and lives today to make intercession for us. So, as we take the elements, I, I hope there's an element of mystery to you. A great mystery, a mega mystery, that Christ came to take our sins. And, and I love Paul's explanation of that. He says, he who knew no sin was made sin so that we could be made righteous in him. We could have his righteousness. And so this morning, the elements remind us that we have a Savior 
mysterious though it be, we believe it to be true, that we have a Savior, and that Savior shed his blood so that we could be righteous, vindicated, just as though we never sinned, because Jesus took that sin. So in a moment we're going to sing, and Pastor Bill is going to come back and introduce communion. And as we sing this song, I hope that your heart will be stirred uh, to worship the Lord as you contemplate the mystery of Christ and what he's done, who he is. And that in so doing, it will enable us to live out this faith in a godly way and it will empower us to live out Christ.